sorry for the quick little uh, mix-up there in our uh, we had an accidental hang-up but uh, what I was saying uh, a second ago was that um, I told the story on our Facebook just put a short little video about the first time I had a, a job interview for a job before I moved to Texas this was a year before I moved um, and it's really been on my mind a lot lately because of what I've been talking about and what we've been talking about with the importance of relationships and also the importance of who a teacher is as a person. Um, and I don't even, I think I told you this story, but my first job interview in 2008, when I didn't get the job, the principal called me and told me that although they didn't want to hire me as a teacher, that I was someone that they all wished they could go out and have a beer with. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. you know, at the time, it didn't really strike me the impact it would have. And I can't say that it's affected me in any particular way, but I know I've carried it. You know, that idea that me being a good person and someone they wanted to hang out with didn't translate into me, you know, them thinking I was a good teacher. And that story's really been on my mind a lot lately. Um, just because, you know, I'm growing more and more in the belief that it's not what a teacher knows. It's, it's who they really are as a person. Because I'm growing in the belief that it's, it's a lot more about what a, who a kid is as a person than, than what they know as well. So that story is just, or that incident has been on my mind a lot the last couple of weeks. Okay. And we know that. I mean, that's, that's the key to everything. Relationships make the world go around. Um, so that's interesting. I thought you were going to go a little bit more. I didn't know where you were going to go with that, but. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it just is something that's really been on my mind. Like, the impact of having someone say that to me, you know, and, and, and what it taught me in my mind. Cause, um, I've, I've found a, it's, it's not a podcast. It's actually a show. Um, but it's called man enough. And it was started by a guy named Justin Baldoni. And, um, the website is we are, we are man enough. And the show is just called Man Enough, and it's all about, you know, talking about men and, um, you know, the roles they play and how, you know, the gender roles are and, and what it means to be a real man and all this stuff. And it really goes with, I've been reading Lewis Howe's book, The Mask of Masculinity, which mm -hmm. is which is mm -hmm. blowing my mind. Um, but really just trying to understand, you know, what my role is as a person and as a male and especially a male teacher, you know being a male teacher, who I am as a person matters because that's what I model for, especially the boys and for the girls around me. So, so let me ask you, since you kind of touched on that, do you feel that there's a, a, an, an increased pressure on male teachers to be that exemplar for manhood and masculinity within schools, being that we're typically outnumbered? I mean, we're, we're, we're what outnumbered like one to four in most yeah, cases. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the thing about it is I, I do think we definitely, um, you know, play the role of the, of the male figure, 
but a lot of what you know, like Lewis Howe's book is talking about, and and these guys that are on Man Enough are, you know, we're playing the traditional male role, and that just we we're starting to find out in our society that that's not the best way for us to be, you know, because I don't. Yeah, it talks about the you know all this stuff is talking about vulnerability, and how many men, you know, male teachers that we've had or we know that or we taught with are really open and vulnerable about who they really are and what's really going on. You know, so I definitely think there is there's there's a pressure for men to to play that gender role, but I don't know if it's the right thing for men to be doing. I mean, because what so, what kind of um, norms are we it, reinforcing? Right, almost like you you have to be the hard nosed, you have to be the the disciplinary, and you have to be the one that comes in. You can't be the nurturer because if you're being the nurturer, all of a sudden something's wrong. Yeah, or if and, you're being the nurturer, you have some type of hidden agenda that you're trying to do uh, something else. So, when yeah. you and and to that point. That's not a role that I play well. You know, you were with me when I tried to play it, and it didn't work. And and you and I both know that I'm a, I, I would cl- classify myself as a good cop. Like, I'm not going to play that role of someone who's going to use authority. Because like I said, that year, that first year we were teaching together, I tried it and it didn't work. And it was totally disingenuous and I wasn't happy and my kids weren't happy and there was very little good that came out of that year. So I, I know it's there because I've tried to play it. And I know that when I didn't try to play it, there were certain people that weren't appreciative of it. And if I'm being honest, I feel like there are certain people that are not appreciative of it in the job I'm in now. Mm. I do feel like that is the expectation for male teachers. Wow. Okay. And that's something maybe we need to just kind of bring up um, in another podcast. Maybe we can get some other male teachers on deck and have them, you know, voice their opinion and share their, um, their insight on that. I would love to kind of dwell, delve into that a little bit more. Yeah. Um, those roles with, um, for male teachers. I mean, again, cause it's always, you know, it's always interesting whenever I'm in a position where I look and see that there's more men than there are females in, in a room full of teachers. You know, we were having a meeting the other day and we outnumbered the females three to two. And I was excited. You know, that doesn't happen too often, you know. And we kind of made the joke about it. But I do see how it's almost kind of increasingly expected that, oh, if you're the male teacher, then you're supposed to be able to do this. You should be able to do that. And you should, you know, fulfill this and fulfill that. And the reality of it is, why can't I just be me? Right. You know, why you know, can't I be authentic to who I am and, and what I believe and allow that to show forth more than anything else? You know, maybe what we ought to do is during spring break, schedule that and get five or six of us in a room and and just talk yeah. it out. Because you'll be here during spring break, correct? Right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
H-Town, what up? Second, third, third week in March. Coming at you. So that'd be pretty awesome. Yeah, I think that yeah, because that's that's we could dive into that tonight and completely be off topic for what we were going to talk about. So let's let's get into our uh, our topic here and and keep it rolling. All right. Um, well, I wanted to jump into this, and we'll just throw the topic idea out there: is um, um, toxic workplaces or toxic cultures. Or for the classroom teacher, a toxic classroom. Um, and uh, this came about because today I was in um, in a meeting with about 30, 30 to 33, 30 or 30, about 32, 33 um, educators. And I kind of eavesdropped on, I was eavesdropping, or as I call it, ear hustling, um, some conversations from some of my table mates and they were sharing about the toxicity level of their cultures in their, in their schools, you know, with teachers not knowing how to appropriately work with and deal with one another, which then translate into them not really being able to deal with their students. And so, um, just thinking without going too too much in detail. Let's kind of talk about this this toxic toxic workplaces. Um I'm I'm sort of reminded of an analogy you made. You know, it's been a couple years, but you know, if we're talking about your classroom or your school culture and you think about it as a glass of water, and that glass of water is a clean, like healthy, positive culture. What happens as soon as that first drop of food coloring goes in? Mm. It permeates the whole thing. And regardless of whether, you know, your toxic culture is half your staff or, you know, five people on your staff, eventually the toxicity will permeate the entire culture unless... It is um, directly mitigated, or something is done to change it. Right, you know, and to add on to that, you know, it could be one person, it could be one single person that's causing a toxicity that every room they walk into, people are automatically compelled to change from being who they want to be to trying to fulfill a mold, so to speak. Yeah. Um, you know, I know from experience that, you know, when you have one, one, uh, one person who's out of sorts, so to speak, and it's not dealt with, it's almost like having a cancer. You mm-hmm. know, you can think, you know, cancer starts off as a small cell, but when you leave it unchecked, you know, it grows and I uh, can't think of the actual medical term, metastasize, I think it is, when yep. it starts to grow. Metastasize. Metastasize. So yeah. if it's gone unchecked and there's nothing, you know, nothing to deal with it, then all of a sudden now it's going to spread to more, to impact more of the body. 
you know, I saw it with even my mom. My mom started with uh, throat cancer. It went from throat cancer to breast cancer. Went from, from the left to the right. And then it went to the lungs, then the brain. And before, for you know, you know it, it was in her bone marrow. So it's just one of those situations where it's like, what um, what are we really going to do? You know, what's the focus, the true focus of our culture? Because if we want to change it, you know, we have to change it. And, you know, we just have to, you can't just let it sit. It can't be enough to say, oh, it's toxic. It has to be, oh, it's toxic. Here's how we're going to remedy it. Well, yeah, and just you know, with, like, yeah, with what you're saying about letting it sit, you know, so if you take the analogy of the glass of water, like if you let if you let it sit in, you know, you let the, the food coloring sit, it's going to just stay there. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you take it and you start to, to filter in more water and, you know, whatever that could mm-hmm. be, more positive people or more you know, you could be bringing more development or the different things you need to change that culture. It can be anything. And, you know, you also have to think about, are you, do you have water in a shot glass and you put a drop of food coloring in? Or do you have a gallon jug of water? Mm. That makes a difference. It, it makes a huge difference. You know, and, and, and with that, I just really feel like the toxic cultures I've been in, it's hard. They've all been so bad that rather than people wanting to stay and change them, they they leave to try to find a better one. Mm. And, you know, therein really is a part of the problem that we've wanted to address is teacher retention. Right. You're not going to retain teachers in a toxic environment. Or, sorry, you're not going to retain really good teachers in a toxic environment. And eventually, you know, in a district, you know, in a district or wherever, eventually that school is going to get, it's going to get around that there's a toxic environment there. And you're going to have a hard time bringing teachers in that would be able and willing to try to change it. So how how do you know if if your if your what about to say relationship if your environment is toxic? What are some what are some signs that you think that you would see? I think there's a lot of I, I think there's not a lot of openness and honesty. I think oftentimes it's a lot of you know, we have things to say about other people, but we don't say it to their face. Mm. You know, and I think that's interesting because I just wrote down for my number one thing that I think is one of the telltale signs is there's no communication. I think a lot of times we think just because we're passing along information that we're actually communicating with people, and that's not. Communication is opening up a dialogue and an exchange. And it, it goes further than just saying, oh, I told you about something or I checked them to make sure that it was covered. And, you know, we were talking about the um, 
in most districts, the the code of ethics for most districts are it's so hidden and tucked away and it's not there's no um, accountability to say, did you really go through this entire packet, this entire booklet to learn about what we feel about ethics and how we want to do things? And most of the time it's it's a it's a check a box. I've signed it. So that that way, if something comes back, we can say we've covered ourselves to say, hey, it was done. There's no course work for teachers to say you're going to go through some ethical planning, ethical strategy standards. You're going to you know, you're going to be tested on these ethical standards to make sure you have at least the key components of these standards in place. And, you know, it's like. Yeah, that's that was my number one thing the no communication. Um, another thing that I came up with was talking about people are more concerned with their position or their hierarchy or the title yeah. versus anything else. Yeah. And I was going to, along with that, I was going to say the word there's, there's expectations mm-hmm. of, of who, of who certain people are or, or who certain people should be, or, you know, people expect, other people to be certain things and to do certain things. And I think a lot of times those expectations are not explicit, like you said, with the communication piece. And whether it's explicit expectations from the top or whether it's explicit explicit expectations from a department leader or from a teacher or whatever it is, um, I think expectations can be a real hindrance to culture. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the expectations should manifest into what people see as actions. If the expectations are clear and their people are held accountable, then the actions of the people should match those expectations. Absolutely. Oops. Absolutely. And I really think um, you can see a toxic environment by the behavior. Like, I'm not saying people, I'm not saying teachers have to go out and be best friends. But are we fake cordial or are we actually cordial? Is there laughter? Is there fun? Um are people, are teachers participating in activities? Is there, you know, that kind of collabor? Is there a real collaboration? Mm-hmm. I mean, because teachers no. have, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, because, you know, what, like you were saying with the ethics thing, teachers are good at checking boxes. And they can check a box to say, yes, we collaborated, or yes, we have good relationships or those different types of things, but actually having those in practice is is another thing. Right. And, you know, that's one of the things that I put, um, I, I just kind of put together my own little quick top five for, you know, you have a toxic cop, you know, toxic uh, culture if. And one of the things, other things that I put on there is that the, it's a greater focus on rules than on relationships. You know, I was uh, watching a good show on um, 
think it's the History Channel called The Chain of Command. And it kind of follows the um, the hierarchy of um, of our U.S. armed forces in the battle that they're doing in Iraq, you know, trying to help the Iraqi citizens um, fight for their own freedom, you know, just trying to aid them without actually taking over. And one of the things that one of the generals said is that, you know, but humanitarian, the humanitarian in me said that that wouldn't have been the good, best call to make. So I erred on the side of humanity. And I think a lot of times in, in schools, we err on the side of rules. Yeah. You know, did we check a box? Did it, did it, did it meet what we're trying to do? And I think that when we become so focused on that, we lose our focus on the true purpose of education in the beginning. So, uh, another thing I said is that you have unhappy people, low morale. And then with that comes absenteeism. You know, oh, you there, and I both there talked about is. that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> One, absenteeism. You, know, you have unhappy people. Go ahead. I was going to say absenteeism in teachers leads to absenteeism in kids. It's um, you know, it's a in, in the cycle. Yeah, and in the position I'm in, you know, that's one of the biggest problems I have with my kids in the ALC. You know, I mean, we have multiple that are already truant after a semester. Wow. Just after one semester. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, it's a hard situation. I mean, and I know, and and I don't want to discount that they go through things, but there's a lot of them that just skip, you know. But I I remember when we were teaching together, there were a lot of teachers that are missing days on days on days. And yeah, we're teachers; we have lives. We should take days when we need them. But you know, it's when there's no sub plan and the teacher just doesn't show up. They mysteriously get sick, you know, the day before. But, yeah, that's a really good one. That's a really, really good one. So now I'm just, let's, can we just kind of, we talked about the causes of it. We talked about the signs to know of it. So let's kind of talk about how we can kind of remedy these toxic uh, relations, these toxic, I want to say relationships, but, um, Environments, cultures. Uh, in to toxic environment, cultures, workplaces. Um, the first thing that I thought of was that it has to start with the individual. Um, preparing each individual person with an idea of a, a greater sense of worth and value. Um, and I, you know, I just kind of wrote, start your day off in the right way with meditation. And a visualization exercise. Um, I was thinking about this the other day. How much, how how powerful schools would be if every time school students came in, you know, instead of doing morning announcements, you had a, a meditation time where students were allowed to to meditate and then go through a visualization visualization process of what is my day going to look like. 
and then kind of jot down some reflections on what is it that you want to do and how you're going to do that. Um, another one is to maintain that same level of, of, of calm that you reach in your meditation. You know, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day. They were like, you always seem so happy. I say, well, I try to live in my meditated state. You know, I try not to get myself outside to the, to the, you know, to the extreme or to, you know, to either extreme of my meditative state. Because that place that I'm at when I'm meditating is probably the best place um, that I've ever been in my, in my life. You know, it's one of those, it's like that magic moment every single time when you reach it. So um, the next one was you got to eliminate tox- the toxins. Get rid of the people. And I'm saying fire people. But I'm saying if you eliminate, if I eliminate the fuel for the fire, the fire's going to die. Mm-hmm. If I stop putting wood on it, it's going to die. If I stop, If I stop the oxygen flow to it, it's going to die. So you don't have to put people aside, but you do have to eliminate how much airtime you give them. The more airtime you give them, the more they're going to increase in what they're doing and how they're doing it. So eliminate the toxins by cutting people's, you know, toxic people, cutting their airtime out. And I think to to that point, you know, with the people, I think your your original point on what to do is right that you need to let these you need to find a way to help these people value themselves. Because teaching skills and teaching strategies and knowledge don't create toxic people. Like a person is not toxic because they of what they teach or how they teach it. That's, that's something that's intrinsic and a part of their personality, I believe. So I think you need to really focus on developing the value of each individual person, that, that point you made earlier. Oh yeah, that's 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 key. That's the foundation. I mean, I think that's the job of every campus leader is that they have to figure out how do they instill that sense of value and worth in each and every teacher uh, on their campus. Um, you know, I I don't like to hear terms like "oh, that's just how they are." Well, I mean, my my, my pastors always say those are the last the last seven words of a dying organization. Is that's how things always were, or you know, that's how it always was, and that's how it's always going to be. Because I just can't accept that. I, I have to understand. I come from the understanding that if it's something that you want bad enough, you'll go get it. Mm-hmm. And, and I you have to create an environment for people to where they want to be better. They want to 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 ex- to expand and to innovate. Because really, innovation can't even happen in a toxic environment. Because in order for creativity to flow, people have to feel like they can be their most authentic self. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and to your point, you know, when when I feel like I'm really valuing myself and I have good value, I don't ever have to question the value of other people. Absolutely. And I think that would be a huge thing in a toxic, any kind of environment, but especially in a school. Like if I'm developing my own value as a teacher like and as a person, it's easier for me to see the value of everyone else around me rather than to question that value. Because if I don't value myself, then I have to either find a way to build myself up 
or find ways to drag the other people down so that way I'm at mm. the same level that they are. Gary, mm. Gary V says it this way all the time. He says, I want to build the biggest building in town simply by building the biggest building, not by tearing everyone else's down. And when you think about teaching, that's where we have to be. Yeah. And that leads me to my fourth point. I know they told me at seminary that you're only supposed to get three points, but I have a fourth one, which is you have to learn to celebrate other people. <clears throat> I think if we start, I'm not talking about the superficial celebrations. You know, I'm not talking about the, oh yeah, you know, the edibles we'd like to give, but I'm talking about genuinely celebrating people for what they're doing. How do you increase behavior? Mm-hmm. How do you increase behavior? The, I mean, a desired behavior is you celebrate it. You know, and I've heard, you know, administrators and, you know, campus leaders, district leaders say, well, you, you get paid. That should be enough for you. You know, and, and really, if that, if that was enough, then we wouldn't be in the position we're in right now in any workplace. You know, every workplace would be running smoothly because everybody's at their jobs. The reality of it is, is that we want to feel like we're doing we're doing something and people are recognizing what we're doing. And we want to feel that sense of connection with someone else. You know, I, I told a group of teachers, we were, they were talking about the kids, they, oh, you know, they're always looking for the negative attention. I said, they're not looking for negative attention. They're looking for attention. They don't care if it's negative or positive. And if you're not giving them that positive attention, then they're going to do something else. And and they're going to notice a pattern that, oh, when I do this and I cut up, they pay more attention to me. They talk to me. They pull me outside. You know, they try to connect with me. But what happens if you start connecting with them from day one? Mm -hmm. You know, every kid that walks in a building when I'm on duty, I go through and I say good morning to each and every one of them. Mm-hmm. Each and every one of them. You know, and people are like, you know, you don't get tired of saying that? I do. But I don't get tired of the fact that that kid may not have had anybody else to tell them good morning. So I'm going right. to share that with them. You know, and, and, you know, to wrap that point up too is in, in Lewis Howe's book, The Mask of Masculinity, he talks a lot about when he finally got to a point in his life where he realized that there could be such things as win-win relationships. Mm-hmm that in order for me to win, someone else doesn't have to, you know, someone else has to lose, but really getting to a point where you feel like we can all win. And when you get to a point where everybody can win, then that's when kids are going to, that's when every kid's going to start to win. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Mm Mm-hmm. You bet. So, yeah, so I guess we'll wrap it up right there. Um, I just think that, you know, I'll just leave a last point is uh, for teachers, um, for anybody really, but for teachers, that's our focus, is go through and Google mindfulness. Um, watch some videos on, on what does it mean to be mindfulness and, and really apply some of those principles in mindfulness to your classroom encourage your students to think that way. Um, I, I, I know that there is a, a, 
a celebration that's coming at the end of all of this. So we just have to make sure that we get there with our kids and, and with each other to make sure that we all get there at the same time. So um, we're going to wrap this up. Um, we'll come back at you again next week with episode 30. We're excited. Again, we're going to actually probably do another one, um, do two a week, two, two in one week because we got to play catch up. But um, our goal, again, keeping it in front of us, 52, 52 recordings, episodes, and 26 guests. So on that note, we're going to go ahead and check out and just send everybody good vibes, positive vibes, and, and um, go get it, 2018. Have a great one. Peace.